more. Come on, somebody. We are children of the light. What's going on? Hey, look to your neighbor and say, today's going to be a good day. Come on, tell them. I'm excited. Today we're beginning a brand new series called The Awe of God, which is based on a book written by John Brevere. Elisa and I had the opportunity uh, last year to be in Florida with John and Lisa in a room along with 28 other pastors. And this was the message that they poured into us. And it was so impactful. I knew that at some point the Lord wanted us to bring this message to this house. And so I believe it's not just a message for you and me. I believe this is a message for the global church. God is doing a work. He is awakening. And uh, I want to encourage you to get the book. Uh, we have done everything we can to keep it at cost. So it's $15. Uh, we're not making anything on it. It's just our way of making it affordable. Um, and here's why I want you to get it. We're not going to cover everything in this book. In fact, I'm going to share some overarching principles today. Um, but as we go, you're going to realize very quickly that we're going in a direction that the Lord is asking each of us to take the messages. So we want this to be a really good resource to partner in what God is saying. So I really want to encourage you, if you don't like to read, get the audio version. Come on, somebody. And uh, I just want, to, want you to be encouraged. I want you to press in. And then as you heard in the video announcements, this Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Come on, somebody. We are officially launching Tuesday night prayer, and it has been so powerful what God has been doing. Uh, we've had a great attendance each week as we've done our soft openings in January. want to encourage you to be there. But also, let me take just a minute to explain our monthly strategy and our weekly schedule. And here's what I mean by that. Not every Tuesday is the same, and we want you to know the who, the when, and the where. And so if you're looking at this slide, every first Tuesday we'll have church-wide prayer. That means all of us together. It's going to be a full service. There's going to be worship. We're going to celebrate communion together. You'll be encouraged in God's Word. We're going to pray together. There's child care available, birth to third grade. And so be here. Be a part of that. On the second Tuesday of the month, it's what we're calling men's ministry prayer. We're all my brotherhood dudes at. Come on, somebody. And uh, listen, it won't be a service. We're going to gather, get in the presence of God. We'll be encouraged, and we're going to pray for each other and strengthen each other. Iron sharpens iron. And then on the, oh, I also should say there's no child care uh, for our brotherhood nights. On the third Tuesday, we're going to do almost the same thing that we did on the first Tuesday. It's church-wide prayer, full service. The only thing that will be different instead of communion, uh, there's a placeholder for water baptisms and family dedications. And you'll hear me talking about family dedications over the next couple of weeks. And then the fourth Tuesday, where are all my women of God at? Come on, somebody. Ladies, that is your night to gather, to pray together, be encouraged, get refreshed in the Lord. And so be there. Same thing, no child care, ages sixth grade and up. Uh, we want our young people to be in the room so they learn how to call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. And then what about the fifth Tuesday months? Uh, we're doing a thing called Pray From Home. And no, this is not a night off. Come on. 
This is an opportunity for us to establish a culture of prayer in our home. We're going to provide resources that are specific to those Tuesdays. And so, um, how many know it is a good thing when we become the people of prayer to become a house of prayer and we build everything on prayer? Come on, if you're going to praise them, praise them. This ain't golf. Come on, somebody. We ain't doing golf claps up in here. Well, let's pray together and uh, let's get ready for the word. How many are thankful for the word? Amen. So, Father, we come to you. We thank you. Thank you that your word is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. God, there's an opportunity on the table here to hear it. But what you're looking for is more than just hearing, that we would meet you with faith and obedience, that you would transform us into the image of Christ. God, we often pray that you would receive glory. You tell us in your word how you receive glory, that we would bear much fruit. We can't bear fruit by just hearing messages. We bear fruit by yielding to your spirit. So Holy Spirit, come speak, move, refine, shape, mold. Whatever you see fit, you are the teacher in the room. I step out of me and I step into you. God, I know that if my brothers and sisters hear from me, there is an opportunity to be encouraged. If we hear from you, there's an opportunity to be transformed. So God, we love you, we honor you, we delight in you. We say thank you for your presence. Thank you for your faithfulness. Have your way in my life. Do whatever you see fit. I love you and I honor you and it's only because you loved me first. So Jesus, have your way. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people shouted out amen. Come on, one more time. Give Jesus all the praise, everybody. Come on. Give Jesus, give Jesus the praise. Hey, look to your neighbor and say, aw. Come on, just say, aw. Listen, we, we've all experienced aw moments. Like, check out this first picture. When you see it, it's just inevitable. You're going to say, aw. Or what about the second one? This is where the anointing of the Lord is. I'm just here to preach. Come on, somebody. Dogs are favored in the kingdom. Amen. Uh, how, about, how about this next one? How you know that is cute. Elisa and I, I, we always talk about growing old together. My ears are already big, and I'm told they're just going to keep on growing. So every time I look to Elisa and I just say, you're welcome. Come on, somebody. Aw. How many of you know there are aw moments, and then there are aw moments? Like when you go to the Grand Canyon, and you see it, and you are in awe of God's beauty, God's power, God's creation, God's authority, or maybe it is a sunset on the beach or a lake and you see it and you're just captivated. That is an awe moment. Or how about Colorado? Come on, somebody. There's something about Colorado. And every time Elisa and I go, we love to take pictures. We're just enthralled by God's creation. How many of you know pictures never do it justice? Like we're looking at our phone and we're looking at the mountain. We're like, okay, we got it. We snap it. And then we look at the picture. It is nothing like the real thing. Guess what? You can't capture God's beauty, but God's beauty can capture you. And that's what this series is all about, that we would be captured by God.
Psalm 111 verse 9 says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome. Come on, say awesome. Is his name. That word for awe, it's a noun. And it means a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. It's like what happened to Peter when he was on the boat with Jesus and it was after the miracle catch and he realized who it was that was in the boat with him. And the Bible says that he fell to his face and he said, Jesus, away from me because I am unworthy. Peter was in awe of God. Or what about when Jesus forgave and healed the paralyzed man? Luke chapter 5 verse 26 says, in amazement seized them all and they glorified God and they were filled with awe and they said, we have seen extraordinary things today. We're talking about awe moments, moments that capture us, moments that will never leave us the same again, that mark us for all of our days. The word awe is used 77 times throughout scripture. And almost every time it's used to describe a group of people or a person that is captured, enthralled by the beauty, the majesty, the power, the splendor of God. And so let me tell you why we're doing this series. Because the purpose of the series is to help you learn that a healthy fear of God will change your life. A healthy fear of God, a holy fear of God will change every relationship that you have. This, this series will change how you deal with sin, how you deal with temptation, how you pray, how you read the Bible, how you view God. Every aspect of your life there is potential on the table during this season, this series, to transform your walk with Jesus. And I do believe that the fear of the Lord is a lost virtue in the church. I believe that the church has tried to make God common. But God is not common. He's holy. Amen. Amen. He is sacred. He is other. He is set apart. There is no one like God. There will be no one like God. He is completely holy and set apart in all of his ways. He is the reason that very definition of holiness is what causes us to go, wow. God, you are amazing. There is no one like you. So as we go on this journey, my assignment today is simple. If we're going to experience the fear of the Lord, then I've got to teach the difference between a spirit of fear and the fear of the Lord. So if you're taking notes, write down the first one, a spirit of fear. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Some translations say power, love, and self-control. In other words, there's stability over the mind. And so Paul is writing his spiritual son, Timothy, is pastoring the church of Ephesus. Ephesus is an explosive city, very influential. A lot of people are getting saved. The church is going well. Well, Paul can't be there with Timothy, so what does he do? He writes First and Second Timothy to encourage him. But this is also the point where the local church is experiencing great persecution. And there is fear that is sweeping over the people of God. So 
Paul, like a good spiritual father, writes Timothy and says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, Timothy, but of love, power, and a sound mind. It tells me four things about a spirit of fear. Write down the first one. A spirit of fear is from Satan, not God. What does he say? For God has not given us. Well, if God didn't give it, who gave it? It is the enemy. Number two, write it down. A spirit of fear is an evil spirit, not a feeling. Listen, the Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a being. We feel him at work, but he is not a feeling. The same way a spirit of fear is not a feeling. We feel the attacks of a spirit of fear. We feel the warfare. We, we feel the lies of the enemy that speak to us and say, hey, don't obey God. It's going to lead to failure or what have you. But it is not a feeling. It is an evil spirit. Well, what's it trying to do? Number three, write it down. A spirit of fear tempts us to hide from God. What do we see even in the garden? Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of God's voice and they were afraid and they hid. From the original fall of man, you and I have been doing the same thing. There is something about our sin working with the enemy, a spirit of fear, that gets us to try to hide and stay distant from God. Number four, write it down. A spirit of fear tempts us to doubt God. And here's what I mean by that. There are things that the Lord is going to call you to do that are bigger than your abilities. There are things that God is going to call you to do, and they are going to require great faith to step into it. And right there, when God calls you into what it is that he wants you to do, there is a spirit of fear telling you every reason you shouldn't obey God. You shouldn't trust God. You shouldn't lean into God. You shouldn't follow God's lead. The spirit of fear is always trying to get us to doubt God's character, God's faithfulness, God's word, etc., etc. And here's what I learned. When I got radically saved, God called me into Bible college. He made it very clear there was a prophetic word spoken over my life that was confirmed several times again that God was calling me to be a pastor. Well, I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't know the Bible. How many of you know if you're going to be a pastor, you need to go somewhere that they can teach you the Bible? Amen? So I go to Bible college, and I'm so excited until a spirit of fear came at me. And I realized I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know any of the Bible stories. What if the professor tells me to turn to a passage of Scripture? I don't even know where that is in the Bible. Maybe he tells me to turn to a book that I don't even know is in the Bible. Come on, somebody. And I was panicking. And so he would like say, turn to the book of Leviticus. I don't know where the book of Leviticus is. So you know what I did? I faked it. And I just kind of turned my Bible to where it looks somewhat like everybody else's. And I held my Bible this close to my face. Why? Because I didn't want my neighbor to know that I couldn't find it in the Bible. Here's the deal. A spirit of fear will get us to do, hold on. Excuse me. That's when you know your family. Come on, somebody. I might even do it again. That's the anointing of the Lord. I can feel it right now. How many of you know a spirit of fear will get us to do things that are not characteristic of a Christ follower? And this is what I learned very quick. A spirit of fear will do one of two things. I want you to write down the first one. It'll try to keep us from doing God's will. 
When God calls us to do something, it will try to keep us from doing God's will. Hey, you're not good enough. You're going to fail. You're not smart enough. You don't know God enough. God's not going to be faithful. He's faithful to some people. He won't be faithful to you. Lie, lie, lie to get you from doing what God wants you to do. Now listen, we have all done this. We have all not stepped over the threshold of scary when God says, do what I'm asking you to do. But I think there is a greater measure in the body of Christ. It's not that we don't do what God wants us to do. It's the second one. The spirit of fear will keep us from doing God's will with faith. Oh, church, this is totally different. So we'll do it. We just won't do it with boldness. Maybe we have to have a difficult conversation because Matthew 18 says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to that person in love and seek unity. And God tells you to go have that conversation and you have the conversation, but you don't have the whole conversation. How many of you know it's so tempting to obey God partially? Come on, somebody. And so we, we do just enough to fulfill the task but we don't do it with a spirit of boldness. We don't do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of Christians are in this place. They're obeying God, but they're not obeying God in faith. They're obeying God, but they're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. They're obeying God, but they're doing just enough to say, okay, God, I did what you asked me to do. But how many of you know it's not about what God just wants us to do? God wants, to experience, wants us to experience his power. God wants to release the authority of heaven in your life so that you can trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all of the power of the evil one. Amen? I remember my very first sermon, y'all. I wish I could say it was good. It was, well, let's just say it was short. It was short. My first sermon, I was in high school. I was doing a practicum, which is an internship. And I said, I, I want to do it with my church. And so I had one primary task. I was to serve all semester long. But then alongside of that, I was to write a sermon. And I was going to preach it at an elderly home. And so I'm excited about doing it, but I'm also really, really terrified to do it. And they kept telling me, you got 25 minutes. Just don't go over 25 minutes. And so I prepare 25 minutes worth of material. How many know when you're nervous, you talk fast? <laughs> Guess how long my message was? Three minutes and 21 seconds. Come on, somebody. And my teacher looked up at me because she was there. And she was like, you're done? I'm like, it was that good. It was that good. You only need three minutes and 21 seconds. You know what's so crazy? It's not that I didn't do what God asked me to do. I just didn't do it in faith. I didn't do it trusting him. I didn't do it leading, leaning into the fact that he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me. And here's what I realized in hindsight. Please hear this. That spirit of fear was not just trying to keep me from preaching God's word. That spirit of fear was trying to keep my teacher from hearing the gospel. Because she didn't know the Lord. But I was so overcome by a spirit of fear. I did what God asked me to do. I just didn't do it in the spirit that he asked me to do it with. How many of you know that's a difference? Maybe for you, it's a fear of failure. You're a husband. You're like, I know I need to lead my family and be the spiritual leader. I need to love my wife like Christ loves the church. But here's the deal, Pastor Sean. I think I'm going to fail. 
I don't think I'm, I'm good enough to do really what God has called me to do. Or maybe it's the fear of man. The Bible says this, Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare. What does a snare do? It holds me captive. I, I can't just continue to move. I'm, I'm latched on. But whoever trusts in the Lord, notice this, is safe. Teenager, it's not that you don't want to follow Jesus at school, it's that you're scared. It's not that you would say that faith isn't important, but the enemy is telling you everything it's going to cost you if you do. And here's what I need you to understand, church, about a spirit of fear, and I want you to write it down. There's no place in your notes, so just put it somewhere. A spirit of fear always plays the long game. A spirit of fear is not just attacking the version of who you are today. It is trying to control who you'll be tomorrow. Because that spirit of fear knows that if I can get a snare on you, if I can get you to be afraid to stand for God today, then I could hold you captive from following God tomorrow. He is always, it is always playing the long game. And we know this. Why? Because it keeps leaders from making the right decisions. It keeps college students from honoring their conviction. It keeps pastors from teaching the truth. It keeps students from shining bright. It keeps teachers from standing on what's true and not bowing to the expectations of the school system. It keeps Christians from opening up about their sins and struggles. It keeps believers from sharing their faith at work. It can even keep you and me from going to Tuesday night prayer. Well, I don't know how to pray out loud. I'm not going to a place where I got to pray out loud. Let me say, whose thought is that? That is a spirit of fear trying to keep you bound from running in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's a fear of persecution. I want to shine bright, but I am afraid of what it's going to cost. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear God who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Maybe it's the fear of abandonment. You were abandoned by your mom or dad, or maybe they were present, but they weren't really there for you. Maybe it was a spouse that really hurts you. And maybe you're married to a great spouse today, but that spirit of fear, that abandonment is actually leading you to jealousy and you're thinking things that aren't actually true and your mind is just being towed and jerked around and you know it's probably not true, but that voice has gotten really strong. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, it is the Lord who goes before you, and he will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you, so do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Don't be fearful. Use 365 times in Scripture. Could it be one for every day? Here's what's crazy. 365 times God tells us don't be afraid and yet every one of us here and online struggle with a spirit of fear. All of us. I was watching 
The Chosen TV series the other day. How many watched The Chosen? Come on, somebody. Just want to see where the anointed is. Come on. It's, it's so good. It's so good. And, and, and uh, uh, season three, episode two, Jesus and the disciples are in Peter's house. And Jesus is about to send them out two by two. This is their first big mission. And Jesus goes, hey, you're going to cast out demons and you're going to heal the sick. And then Jesus looks up and all of the disciples are looking at him like this. And Jesus goes, What? Why are you looking at me like that? That's my best Jesus voice right there. Come on, somebody. And, and, and they're, they're kind of freaking out. And he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And one of them's like, uh, can we go back to healing the sick for a minute? And then Nathaniel goes, did I miss a ceremony? Like, should there have been a ceremony? And Jesus goes, this is the ceremony. And he goes, I don't feel any different. And he goes, I don't need you to feel something to do my will. Come on, somebody. And they're all freaking out. And Jesus goes, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then Jesus goes, oh, by the way, don't take any food with you, no extra change of clothes, no money. You're gonna depend on me. Nathaniel pipes up and goes, this plan is bogus. And Andrew goes, he just said, don't be afraid. And then Thomas I love Thomas because Thomas says what we all want to say. We're just not bold enough to say it. He says, fear is not a thing you just stop. Oh, that brings the humanity back into the room. Because you can't avoid fear. You can't hide from fear. We all deal with fear. So I've got some good news for you. Psalm 56, verse 3. But when I'm afraid. Oh, come on, say, there's the grace right there. When I'm, not if, when I'm afraid. I put my trust in you and God whose word I praise and God I trust, I shall not be afraid. God is not saying, hey, you're never going to struggle with fear. He says, when fear comes, choose to not let it dominate you. Yeah. Here's why. You cannot be led by the Holy Spirit and be led by a spirit of fear at the same time. So when it comes, I choose to trust you. Two principles. Number one, we can't avoid, pray, uh, we can't avoid fear, so we must choose to overcome it. We can't avoid it. We can't outrun it. We can't hide from it. God says, no, I want you to choose to overcome fear, which brings me to the second principle, and it only makes sense that we would answer this if we can't avoid it, and we need to overcome it. Here's the question. How do we do that? Write it down. We overcome unholy fear by having the fear of the Lord. How do you overcome? Some of you, you would say this. There is a snare of fear on my life. I am always like overcome by fear, overcome by anxiety, overcome by worry. What breaks that snare off your life? It's having the fear of the Lord. 
He is the only one strong enough to break the chains. Good news, he already did it at Calvary. We just need to learn how to walk in the fullness of Jesus. Can I get an amen? So we talked about a spirit of fear. Number two, write it down. This is the holy fear of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. King Solomon speaking, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Let me tell you who Solomon is. Solomon was David's son. Solomon was a great king who started off so well. He had the fear of the Lord. But he did what God told him never to do. He intermarried with pagan women who worshiped pagan gods. And the Bible tells us that those women turned his heart from God. And when his heart was turned from God, he lost the fear of the Lord. And so much of his adult life was very far from the Lord. And he wrote things like this, meaningless, meaningless. Everything in life is just meaningless. But thankfully... His relationship with God was restored. And as he comes to the end of his life, this is what he says. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Like, I've already shared everything. I've experienced everything there is to experience. Here's what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of a man. What is he saying? It's the whole purpose of your life that you fear God and you walk in obedience to his will. See, there's a lie in the kingdom and maybe you've even heard a pastor say it. Wait a minute, fear the Lord? No, 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 that's Old Testament. The Bible says in the New Testament that God's love casts out fear and it does, but you have to understand the context. Look at 1 John chapter 4, 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Let me tell you what John is doing. John is talking about a spirit of fear. You wanna know how I know? Because of this word right here, punishment. Let me say what he's saying. Somebody who is a Christian, who has been redeemed by God, still living by a spirit of fear, believing that God is gonna punish them for their sin. You need to hear this. God is not gonna punish you for your sin if you're in Christ because he already punished his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was punished on your behalf. So he says, you have not been perfected in love. You have not matured to trust the grace of God. You have not learned to rest in the grace of God. You've not learned to go, God, you cover me. Past, present, and future, do I still need to repent? Yes. But I don't repent to restore relationship. I repent to restore fellowship. Because sin disrupts my intimacy with God. But praise be to God that what he did at Calvary is enough. When he declared, it is finished. He was the full payment for our sin in full. I don't need to walk around in fear like, man, I'm just one bad mistake away from God abandoning me. No, he'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me, amen? The New Testament does tell us to fear the Lord. There are prescriptions and descriptions. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have those promises in Christ, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, 
bringing holiness to completion in the what? In the fear of God. Paul goes, oh, you want to follow Jesus? Sweet. Let's talk about the things in your life and in my life that aren't of God. And let's let the Holy Spirit deal with those things. How do we do it? By walking in the fear of the Lord. What about Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13? Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. What is Paul saying? Listen, Paul's in prison. Paul said, when I was with you, I watched you follow Jesus. I'm not with you anymore. I'm in prison, so I'm writing you. Please keep following Jesus, even in my absence. Well, how do we do that? He tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What about 1 Peter chapter 2, 17? Where all our brotherhood dudes at? Come on, this is our theme verse right here. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. There it is. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. So the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in what? The fear. No, come on, say it like you're excited to be in church today. Come on, say the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Oh, come on, somebody. They're walking in the fear of the Lord and they're being comforted by the Holy Spirit at the same time. The enemy will tell you the fear of the Lord is bad. God will tell you the fear of the Lord will bring blessing to your life. It'll bring comfort to your life. I want you to write this down. The fear of God is not being afraid of God. There is a difference between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of God. There is a chart on your notes, and I want you to write these down because I want to contrast these two so that you understand. Being afraid of God keeps us distant from God. Write that down. It keeps us distant from God. But the fear of God, the Bible says, draws us close to Him. Why does being afraid of God keep us distant? Here's why. Because we feel scared. If I'm afraid of God, guess what? I'm going to feel scared. But if I've got the fear of God, here it is. I don't feel scared. I feel safe. I feel safe. Being afraid of God hinder, hinders intimacy. Write that down. It hinders intimacy. But the fear of the Lord, according to the Bible, deepens intimacy. How many know you can't have intimacy with somebody you're afraid of? You can't let yourself, the deepest parts of you, the most vulnerable places of your soul, get close to somebody that you're afraid of. But when I have the fear of the Lord, it deepens my intimacy with God. Here's the last one. The fear of the Lord means I'm afraid to be with Him. There are, there's a generation of people that are afraid of God because they don't understand His good character and His good nature. They don't understand that he's an everlasting father. The fear of the Lord is different. It's not that I'm afraid to be with God. It's I'm afraid to be without him. Did you see it? The fear of the Lord is coming to the place where you say, God, I know the most dangerous place for me is to be apart from you, to be outside of your will 
to be outside of your anointing, to be outside of your power, to be outside of your promise, to be outside of your covering, your protection, etc. That is the most dangerous and terrifying place I could be apart from you. It is the fear of the Lord. So Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. Next week, by the way, I'm going to talk about the benefits of the fear of the Lord and how his word transforms our lives. We will go from reading it, we'll even go from just believing it to being transformed by it if you have the fear of the Lord. But I want to read this to you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Did you catch it? Don't let me read it for you. You read it too. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. We have a lot of people who are smart, but they are not wise. You can be smart based on culture's economy, but you can only be wise when you begin to see God for who he really is. Knowledge is seeing the Holy One for who he is. Do you know that you have three images? You have a perceived image, you have a projected image, and you have an actual image. Your perceived image is how people see you. Your projected image is how you want people to see you, how you project yourself, betray yourself. But then you have an actual image and your actual image is who you really are. Guess what? God already knows who you really are. And he purchased you at Calvary. Well, the same is true with God. There's a perceived image of God. We form it based on our own understanding. We draw our own conclusions, often because of life experience, and then we frame who this God is. But then there's a projected view of God based on denominations and what other pastors told you. But then there's the actual view of God, which is what? Who God really is, as revealed in his scripture through the work of the Holy Spirit. This series is all about you and me coming to a place where we see God for who he is. He is not common, he is sacred. He is not common, he is holy. He is not common, he is other. He is set apart in all of his ways and it causes me to go, wow God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. What am I trying to tell you? He's not only on the mercy seat, he's on the judgment seat. He's not only savior, he's Lord. One of the greatest lies in the American church today is that you can come to Jesus and get a savior and still live your life any way you want to. That is not the gospel. He is Lord and he is Savior, amen? He not only loves his kids, he disciplines his kids. But we love the love part. How about this one, church? 
He's not only gracious with me, he's jealous for me. Somebody needs to hear this. You're trying to love Jesus with your soul, but you have a secret romance. God will not share you with another. If you're married, you would not be okay with your spouse being shared with another person. You would say, no, you cannot be committed to me and her. You have to choose one. Let me tell you, he's the groom, we're the bride. We have to choose. Are we gonna give all of us to him like he gave all of him for me? Or am I not gonna give any at all? He is jealous for me. Here's the big one. He not only loves good, but he hates evil. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. See, this is the fear of the Lord where presuppositions aside, projections aside, God, I'm choosing to see you as you reveal yourself to me. And when I have the fear of the Lord, it changes how I follow him. Write down this last thing. The fear of God starts with the right view of God. The fear of God starts with the right view of God. So God's taking us on a journey, church. And this is journey is to find this lost virtue called holy fear. How, remember, how many of you remember when you were a kid, you would lose a toy and it would just irk you? Come on, somebody, anybody? And you, I remember this one toy and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I searched and I searched and I searched and I couldn't find it. So I gave up and I decided to live without it few months later, how I many you know I found that toy? And all the value of what was lost was realized in that moment. I believe what the Lord is doing is he's restoring what's lost in us. He is not common. Church, listen to me. If you're trying to follow a Jesus with half of your heart and not give him everything, you are not following the Jesus of the Bible. He's coming back for a bride. He's coming back for a holy bride that is set apart for him, waiting for him. The good news, the grace of God is in the room because Jesus is in the room, amen? He's truth and he's grace. We need both. Sometimes you don't know what you have until you lose it. How many know that's true? Sometimes you don't know what you have until you find it. God is saying, I'm looking for a group of kids that will go on a search and allow my spirit not just to restore the joy of their salvation, but to restore the fear of the Lord that they would walk differently with me all the days of their lives. How many of you know we need this message, amen? Come on, give Jesus some praise. Worship team, come up. If you would, stand to your feet.
We're gonna sing. I don't want anybody leaving, by the way. I want this time to be with you and the Lord. And this is not just about singing. This is about saying, God, I surrender my whole life to you. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to make them promises. Repentance is simply, I turn and I give you my life. I see who you are. You are Savior, but you're also Lord. You are a God of mercy, but you are also a God of justice. God, I don't want to live with a perceived view or a projected view. I want to live with a view of who you actually are as revealed in your holy scriptures. So would you lift your hands to the Lord? Come on, if that's really you. And you're not here just to play church. You're really here to have an encounter with God. He will meet you. He will meet you right now as you sing to him. So Father, we come right now to you. We ask Holy Spirit that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation, but that you would also restore to us this virtue of holy fear. We're not afraid of you, God, but we do fear you. And we want to be close to you, walk in intimacy with you. So God, just like Paul says, deal with all of the impurities and the defilement of body and spirit. We lay our lives down to you and we thank you for saving us. We thank you for creating us. We thank you for recreating us at Calvary. Thank you for being patient with us. God, we want to follow the real Jesus. And so we repent right now. And as we sing this song, this is the prayer and the cry of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's put your hands up and let's sing to the Lord.